Welcome to the new 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week we seek to understand the practical truths of the Bible and how they can change our lives. And now, here's your podcast host, Pastor Mark Miner. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. My name is Mark Miner, and like you, uh, I am a seeker and a searcher specifically as we look at the Bible uh, through this 24 or so minutes that we are together. And I just want to let you know I'm very thankful that you've loaned me those minutes. Uh, I promise I will do my dead level best to make it worthwhile as uh, together we seek to uh, understand the Bible in a simple way to connect the dots, if you will. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the trail of blood through the Bible. The Bible is uh, really full of blood. It really talks a lot about uh, this very red, exciting, mysterious substance. So we're going to look at that in just a moment and uh, in a practical way, these practical truths understand from Genesis to Revelation, God's plan, and perhaps understand uh, the Bible and ourself a little bit better in the process. I I would like to just take a moment and remind you, if you're new to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, that uh, this is episode 121. If you're interested on whatever platform or format you're using, you can go back uh, over the last year, which was 2022, uh, we, uh, I did a, a journey through the Bible, a book by book, uh, through that year uh, to help you uh, just understand each book and to get through the Bible in a year, as many people try to do. So uh, if you're interested in some of those past episodes, uh, they start in Genesis and go all the way through to Revelation, so it's in a chronological, as least, at least as far as the Bible is set up, order. And I'd love to have you uh, take a few moments and and look at those, and maybe those will be helpful to you in your journey. Well, today, as I said, uh, we're talking about the the trail of blood through the Bible. Uh, Where I live, uh, deer hunting is uh, somewhat of a rite of passage. Uh, I live in rural southern Illinois, and the ritual goes something like this. Uh, If you're not familiar with deer hunting, uh, you have to get a permit, first of all. Uh, And then if you're fortunate enough to do that, you uh, get up before dawn. You dress warmly enough to handle the sometimes very chilly November winter. You climb up in a tree. Yes, you do. Uh, Sometimes you apply scent to your body. That's either to attract or camouflage your scent. Uh, Then you climb up in your tree stand and wait and wait and wait for a deer to come by. That sounds exciting, right? Well, maybe not, but, but for me, the exciting part was uh, experiencing this with my two sons. And if one of them was fortunate enough to shoot a deer, uh, then uh, the exciting part really took place because what was exciting in the deer hunt was tracking this 200-pound animal through the woods. The deer would leave a blood trail. And following, tracking that blood trail was always the most exciting part of our day if we were successful in wounding and and procuring an animal because we knew that the blood trail would eventually lead the hunter to the prize. And again, if you've never hunted, this may not make too much sense to you you, or it may even be a little bit revolting. I'm sorry about that, but that is the truth. Uh, But you, if you are a hunter, you know what I'm talking about. I tell this story to illustrate a practical truth. 
there is a very real and important blood trail through the Bible, as we will see today. And it's not just a trail of blood through the Bible. There's a trail of blood in every culture. In one form or fashion, every culture understands the concept of blood as a payment, as a connection to their gods, even if it's not Jehovah, or as a deeply spiritual religious sacrifice. So, so blood is uh, ubiquitous. It's, it's in every culture. Uh, and the question is why? Why this fascination with blood? Obviously, cultures on every continent and across every culture and time period have understood blood as a mystical and, and an intricate part of life. But, but why is that? And we're not really sure. We, we certainly do know this, that, uh, for example, uh, just picking up a, a few anecdotes from history, the Aztecs uh, were uh, very much uh, involved with blood and sacrifice to their god, uh, creating pyramids where they actually had bowls uh, that captured the blood, most often of a sacrifice, often a human sacrifice, an enemy, but the blood was a vital part of appeasing or connecting with their gods. Uh, the missionary David Livingston uh, many years ago, wrote of his journeys in sub-Saharan Africa of a practice called Kassendi, where enemy tribes would uh, commingle their blood <clears throat> with the blood of someone that had previously perhaps been an enemy or an adversary. And this mixing of blood, uh, you might call it being, becoming a blood brother, this mixing of blood would create a bond that would bring peace. Uh, between these uh, warring tribes or enemies. And even today, uh, modern movies, it doesn't take uh, a lot of perusing to see uh, movies like uh, Twilight. Of course, many of the killer slasher horror flicks of today uh, all reveal a deep fascination for this incredible substance called blood. Now, I don't understand or proclaim to you or claim today to uh, be able to explain everything to you, but for sure the, the five quarts of blood that are coursing through your veins right now in a medical sense have some significant meaning to us. If you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, you're just a human listening to this today, a non-believer, uh, the blood brings life-giving oxygen to every cell in our body. And that really does uh, define and authenticate, in a way, Leviticus 17.11, where God writes to his nation, his people at the time, the children of Israel, uh, for the life of the creature is in its blood. So today, uh, join with me as we walk through uh, this trail, as we track toward a prize, uh, this trail of blood that's very evident through the Bible, if you are a student of the Bible, especially those who are interested in understanding some of these, these practical truths, uh, the rivers that flow through the 66 books of the Bible, the biblical record, and we have to understand uh, these critical concepts, I believe, the river that flows through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation runs red. In this episode, we will explore the first num uh, number of different uh, things concerning the blood. First, we're going to look at first blood. No, not, not Sylvester Stallone and Rambo. But we're going to look at first blood shed on the earth. Then we're going to talk about the anthropomorphic, uh, the lifelike uh, nature of the blood. 
Then we're going to talk about bloody changes that took place on planet Earth. Uh, then we're going to look, look just for a moment at the blood and the Old Testament laws. And lastly, we'll look at the blood of Jesus and ultimately track his blood and the whole course, the river of blood throughout the entire Bible. So uh, get ready. Here we go. Listen fast. I'm going to try to go quickly. Uh, but I, I want you to understand, I, my prayer is that you'll understand uh, the power and the purpose, this very practical truth concerning blood. Let's, let's talk about first blood for a moment. I'd ask you a question. Who shed the first blood on planet Earth? Uh, some might answer Cain, uh, but I would say no, the first blood was shed by God. If you remember, the world had once been man's sanctuary, a perfect place that God gave to Adam and Eve. But now, after sin, planet Earth had become a very hostile environment and was going to become increasingly so. Uh, the first couple, Adam and Eve, experiencing a wave of self-consciousness as they knew that they were naked, and that wasn't just physically. They were vulnerable in so many ways. Uh, they feebly attempted to create for themselves, both uh, figuratively and physically, some kind of covering, and they chose fig leaves, the Bible record tells us. Uh, but much more, much more was now going to be required since uh, Satan had obtained ownership for the earth and this world, as I mentioned, had become a hostile place. How were they to survive? Well, God steps in. In a, a very redemptive way, God steps in. He provides, the scripture tells us in Genesis 3, he provides animal skins to clothe his now vulnerable children. Uh, so in doing so, God sheds the first blood on planet Earth. If, if I understand this correctly, of course, uh, God provided for Adam and Eve skins to wear instead of fig leaves. For skins to be provided to protect Adam and Eve, blood had to be shed and something had to die. So the first blood shed on planet Earth was, I believe, God himself being a redeemer and a protector of his people, his children, his now very vulnerable and broken children. Let's go on to look at a second component of the blood, and, and that's the anthropomorphic, or the cry of the blood. Now we track blood uh, to the first murder. It's sort of like a crime show, and, and we, if you're familiar with so many of the NCSI and so many of the different uh, shows, uh, the blood often leads to the crime. And uh, we see that in the very first murder in Genesis chapter 4. Cain kills his brother Abel. Abel's voice is now silenced. But listen to this verse, because even though Abel is dead, his blood cries out. Genesis 4, 10 and 11 says this. Uh, the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now think about that for a moment. Uh, God himself saying to Cain, listen, uh, there is a sound, there is a life-giving force, if you will, understood even back in those days uh, that the, the voice, the cry of the blood that was shed. I don't understand totally what that means, but I think there's something 
mysterious and profound about the reality that that human blood and we can track this we don't have time today you can track this all through the scripture but uh, blood seems to have a very not only prominent place but also a very vocal place in the heart and the eyes of God as uh, bloodshed takes place and as sacrifice for our sins takes place so the cry of the blood Let's look at a third aspect of blood, and that has to do with the bloody changes that take place after the flood of Noah. Genesis chapter 9, if you want to track this trail of blood through. But we read that immediately after the flood of Noah, after Noah and his three children and their wives have, have gotten out of the ark and are beginning to reassemble and reestablish life on planet Earth, a, a transitional change seems to take place in the relationship between mankind and animals. All through the first verses of Genesis 9, again, after the flood, God says these words in Genesis 9, 4, uh, as he's talking to uh, Noah and to uh, his family, their family. He says, but you must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. Now, God's talking about blood, and he's talking about bloodshed. We don't have a great deal of discussion about this subject previous or before the flood. But now, after the flood, it becomes very much front and center. Not enough time today to unpack the impact, but focus on what seems to be happening here, this profound transition in human history. Before the flood, mankind and animals seemed to be in some sort of harmony. Uh, there was certainly bloodshed before the flood, a human-on-human -human bloodshed before, for one of the reasons of the flood was because the murder of mankind on mankind. But Scripture leads us to conclude that human beings, during this period of time, from creation to the flood, did not eat meat. Perhaps there was animal sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice seemed to be an animal of some kind. But there were no laws and no defined offerings for animals, that, such as we have in the Law of Moses. In other words, it seems to be a time of, of peace and harmony, uh, at least uh, a relationship between man and animal that perhaps caused mankind to be understood as vegetarians. Let's read another verse that will just reinforce this point, perhaps. This is, again, Genesis chapter 9, reading verse 2. God tells Noah, The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth. Now, I just want to stop there for a second. It seems that that was a new thing. Before the flood, perhaps there was no fear and dread of mankind and animals on planet earth. That they weren't adversarial that the child could play near the lion, that the uh, ox and the lion lay down together, that uh, there seemed to be a harmony in the world that maybe will occur again at some later date, uh, perhaps known as the millennium. But we won't go there right now. We'll just simply say that uh, in Genesis 9-2, these words are read, the fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and on every creature that moves along the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given to you into your hands. Now verse 3, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. 
just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. Don't want to belabor the point, but uh, Scripture seems to me at least to be indicating that uh, hunting and uh, hunting animals for meat, uh, raising livestock for food is now permissible for human beings. Of course, there's a change on planet Earth. As this verse seems to indicate, the fear and dread of mankind was now the status quo relationship between man and creation. So before the flood, not much bloodshed. After the flood, uh, as meat becomes part of the diet, there seems to be a, a bloody change, a change that uh, opens up the avenue not only for meat, but of course the death of those animals and the blood that goes with it. You say, why is that perhaps important? Well, that leads us to number four, uh, the purpose of blood in the Old Testament. That boring Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, which I find so incredibly exciting. What was the purpose of it? Someone once said that the Old Testament is a bloody book, and certainly that is true. In fact, I would say to you that all human history is bloody. Uh, life is bloody in, in many ways. Uh, but blood, at least now, after the flood, blood has become the primary substitution offering for the sins of mankind. The priesthood of Aaron and the Old Testament uh, uh, priest, if we wanted to look at them as a profession, uh, they weren't just holy men. In many ways, they were, they were butchers. They knew how to kill. They knew how to shed blood humanely, but also proficiently. Uh, they knew how to offer up the animal, not in a bad sense were they killing things, uh, but they were charged by God with selecting, killing, and then offering the blood at the altar of Jehovah. Now, if you've ever thought about this before, or certainly if you grew up on a farm and perhaps have seen uh, the slaughter of animals, a cow or a pig, listen folks, uh, you don't have bacon without a pig dying. You don't have that great steak without a cow dying. Uh, so many of us are separated from that if we've grown up in the city, but on the country and in the rural environment, that's uh, much uh, more understood. But this process of shedding blood, even animal blood, it was a nasty thing. It was a difficult thing. Uh, and it provides a picture. It was supposed to in the Old Testament. This is the purpose of the blood and the sacrifice in the Old Testament. Because of sin, something had to die. It was a messy thing. And the blood that was procured was sprinkled on the altar and in other aspects of the worship to provide for those offering it a covering, a grace for their sins. And that is indeed the purpose of blood in the Old Testament law. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that the blood of Bulls and goats had no power whatsoever to take away sin. It was a picture or a covering or a charge account, if you will, waiting for that which could take away the sin, which is point number five, these practical truths concerning the blood. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. If, like me, you grew up in a church, you, you might remember singing some of those old hymnal songs there's power in the blood. Uh, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But wait, uh, those songs that we're singing about, that understanding, did we really get it? 
Why was the blood of Jesus different? What was different between him and you and I? What was different between him and the animals? What was different about the blood of Jesus? And I would give you one concept. His father. When we would administer, uh, or if we administered a paternity test on Jesus of Nazareth, we would find that the blood flowing through his veins was not the blood of Joseph, his stepdad, or was it the blood of any human father? Jesus' blood originated from his heavenly father. His blood was of heavenly, not earthly origin. That's really what the virgin birth was all about. The blood flowing through Jesus' veins, veins could not have come from a man. It had to come from a sinless place. And that sinless entity, that sinless source, the DNA of the blood of Jesus, if you will, came from a heavenly father. And so the virgin birth was of absolute, essential necessity and significance. Because every one of us carry in our bloodstream the signature of death. Only Jesus, with the heavenly DNA in his blood, could erase the curse of sin that we all carry around in our blood. There's a very interesting, and I'll just uh, go quickly on this, but there's a very interesting concept when the Bible talks about our, our, our efforts, our righteousness being as filthy rags. Now, you may read that. That's the King James Version. Our righteousness being as filthy rags, but the term for filthy rags has to do with a menstrual cloth. And a menstrual cloth uh, is life without blood. That's why that event takes place in a woman every month. There's no life in that blood, and so it passes on. And all of our deeds and all of our efforts are, are bad blood, worthless blood, lifeless blood. It had no life in it. Only Jesus' blood has life that can overcome the disease that we carry in our blood and in our life that touches every part of our being, this disease of sin, this curse of sin. Hope that makes sense. I'm not trying to preach to you, but I, I think that's what ties it all together. So uh, let's track the blood from Genesis through Revelation. If there is a river of blood that runs through the Bible, uh, and indeed it runs red, let's talk about that. So we start with, in Genesis 3, uh, understanding that bloodshed uh, took place immediately after sin, that God provided the first bloodshed, as he provided skins for Adam and Eve, a covering, if you will. Later on, he provides a covering for his people, the nation of Israel, as he creates a uh, method of sacrifice so that uh, they could understand the nature of their sin and so that those sins, at least for uh, a while, could be atoned for in, in the sense of a, care, a caretaker or guardian until the real thing came uh, to pass. In other words, the Old Testament sin was, uh, the Old Testament sacrifice was just a charge account for the sins of God's people. Ultimately, as we continue to track uh, the blood, we, we understand that uh, for all of humanity, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he loved the world, and it was the blood of his son that covered uh, our sins, the sins of all the world. Now, 
<clears throat> you might even remember as if you're a Christian, if you have go to church in any capacity or for sure you, you at least are aware of this thing called the communion meal or the Lord's Supper, where Jesus is, uh, tells his, his uh, disciples there in the Gospels and where the pastor or the priest might say, uh, in your house of worship, uh, he might hold up the, the, the bread and say, this is Jesus' body, which is broken for you. Of course, you can't have bloodshed without the breaking of flesh. And then he picks up the cup and he would say the words that Jesus said. This cup rep represents my blood, which is poured out for the remission or the forgiveness of sin. Remember this. That's what Jesus was saying. All through the Bible, we track the blood to the very event of Jesus' life-giving blood being poured out for us actually offered not on a hill in Jerusalem, but actually offered, according to the book of Hebrews, in the true temple in heaven. We don't have time to get into that, but that is, in fact, the reality. There's one last aspect of the blood, because the next thing on God's calendar for all of us in this world today is Jesus' promised return. And we read in Revelation 19, as he comes back, it says his eyes, talking about Jesus now, are like blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has names, a name written on them that no one knows but he himself. And then verse 13, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. You see, that signifies his redemption, his conquering. From the very beginning of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, it's really all about the blood. And when we track the blood and the reason for the things that God did, both in the Old Testament and, of course, in the New Testament, we see how valuable you are because it couldn't be your sins. It couldn't be your effort, excuse me. It couldn't be your blood or the blood of any superhero that could take away the ultimate eternal death it can only be the sinless, pure, heavenly-originated blood of Jesus that takes away our sins. That's the practical truth of the blood flowing through the Bible. Well, I hope this uh, helped you to perhaps understand. I'd encourage you to explore some concepts. I will tell you that next week, uh, where our podcast is going to be looking at the practical truth of raising children. The first command that God gave to Adam and Eve before they had sinned was that they were to multiply. In other words, uh, to have physical relationships and to bear children. God loves the family. He can't be a father if he doesn't have children. And God wants us to understand the nature of raising children. So that'll be what we look at next week. Hope you'll join me for uh, this uh, time together on the 24-minute Bible Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.